your copy of scripture to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. We're looking at love is. And in 1 Corinthians 13, Paul was talking to the church at Corinth and trying to get their heads wrapped around the idea of love. Uh, Today, we need that same instruction for our lives, whether it's in the church or in the community, in our families or with our friends, we need to understand what love is. We need to understand what love looks like and what it doesn't look like. Now, as Paul, as Paul was penning 1 Corinthians 13, he wasn't just writing some sentimental script for a soap opera. He was describing the person of Jesus Christ himself. And really, he was attacking, although it doesn't sound like it, but he was attacking how that the church at Corinth had lost their way. See, the church at Corinth had developed this, this super spiritual idea of, of what it means to be a mature follower of Christ. And, and they had, they had uh, uh, elevated certain spiritual gifts and giftings, and, and uh, some would even say secret codes and phrases. And they, they were elevating certain things and saying, if you've got these qualities, that's all you need. You must be a mature follower of Christ. Um, But Paul said, no, there's something missing. And if you were, uh, again, to look at verses 1 through 3, Paul was saying, now you can have have all the great gifts. You can can preach the the lights out. You can have faith to move mountains. You can give your body to be burned, even give all your goods to the poor. But if you do not have love, get it. If you do not have love, Love, zero, zilch, not, nothing. In today's vernacular, Paul would say, if you're in the church, you can memorize as many books of Scripture as you want. You can sit on as many councils or committees as you please. You can attend as many um, popular Bible studies as are offered. You can take up the offering. You can be an usher in the back. You can be a Bible study teacher. Mm, Sorry, a life group leader. I'm sure he he felt it already. It just oozed in him. You can be a life group leader. Uh, You can be a deacon. You can be a pastor. But if you have not love, zilch. What happens for us is the same thing that happened for the church at Corinth. We give ourselves a break. We begin to think that because we've been a member here for so long or because we're a pastor or because we have so much um, uh, truth memorized or put into our heart that somehow we don't have to love. Or we redefine what that love should look like. But guys, we are a people of Scripture, are we not? We believe that the Bible informs how we live our lives, do we not? And as a people of Scripture who believe that the Bible defines how we live our lives, we need to take seriously 1 Corinthians 13. If it were only 1 Corinthians 13, then then maybe we could 
skirt around it, but it's not just 1 Corinthians 13. To love others. Man, that's core curriculum for the Christian life. To love others is not optional. It's not a garnish on the side of the main course. To love others is the DNA of who we are as followers of Christ and who we are as a church. And when we talk about our our core as First Baptist Church Norfolk, we exist to glorify God. John 17, 1 through 5. We find our greatest pleasure in God's pleasure. 2 Corinthians 5, 9 and 10. We will pay the price to advance the gospel. 2 Corinthians 5, 13, 14, 15. Throw 16 in there. That'd be fun too. And we will love others the way Christ has loved us. 1 John 4, 9 and 10. And this is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us. And he gave his, sent his son to be the payment price for our sin. Beloved, if God has loved us in this matter, then we also ought to love one another. Jesus gave the greatest commandment. You remember the greatest commandment. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Therefore, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. And the second commandment, Likened to it is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. John 13, 34, Jesus said, a new commandment I give you, that you love one another even as I have loved you. You also love one another. We cannot act like love doesn't matter. Jesus said it is a mandate for us. Now, all of us perhaps would say, yes, 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 I want some love. I I, I wanted to sing a song at that point, but I won't. No. No, no, no. Uh, No, no, no. Let me just say what the world needs now. Is love, love, love. Or Lenny Kravitz, y'all don't know Lenny Kravitz, perhaps Lenny Kravitz sings this, it's time for a love revolution. Uh, the Beatles sang it this way, can't buy me love. Uh, there's a, <laughs> yeah, thank you. Uh, yeah, but I'll, that's, I'll end it there. No, I know, Bon Jovi comes next week. Um, as, as, as we look at our lives, we say, yes, we need love. But 1 Corinthians 13 and the mandate from Christ is not us receiving love. It's us giving love. See, we gather here and many of us, we are the greatest consumers of all. We say, yes, feed me, nourish me. But the bulk of the New Testament is not about us being nourished, but about us nourishing others. It's not about us being served, but it's about us serving others. So when Paul talks about love in 1 Corinthians 13, he's not writing a script for some sentimental soap opera. He's talking about core curriculum for us as followers of Christ. So for the last two weeks, we've looked at what this love is and what this love looks like. Love is patient. Love is kind. And uh, then last week, Paul, uh, uh, Paul or Philip, depending on how you view him. Philip 
began this idea of love being selfless. And he says, love is patient, love is kind. Love does not envy, love does not parade itself, love is not puffed up. Verse five is where we're gonna stick today. Love does not behave rudely, does not seek its own, is not provoked and thinks no evil. See, when we consider how we love, the the way we love others is a picture of how we love Christ and our closeness to him. You remember when Jesus was talking about the end of time in Matthew chapter 25? And he said, he he was separating. He said, when the Son of Man comes in all his glory, he's going to separate the goat from the sheep. The sheep are the ones getting into heaven. The goats are the ones that aren't getting into heaven. And he separates them and and he says to the sheep, uh, come into my uh, my father's kingdom and and enter your rest. and, And for when you... Uh, when, when I was hungry, you fed me, and when I was thirsty, you gave me drink, and when I was naked, you clothed me, and when I was uh, alone, you visited me, and when I was in prison, you came to me. You remember when Jesus said that? And then the, 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 the sheep responded, well, when did we see you naked and clothe you? When did we see you uh, thirsty and give you drink? When did we see you hungry and give you food? When did we see you uh, in prison and come see you? When, when, when did that happen, Lord? When did we see that? And Jesus said, You remember? Jesus said, as much as you did it to the least of these, my brethren, you have done it to me. See, what Jesus did is he connected loving others with loving him. Do you realize that how you love others is a picture of your relationship with Jesus Christ? And and the question is, are you an infant in Christ because you're an infant in love? Today, we need need to understand that it's not how smart we are that shows our maturity in Christ. It's how we love one another. So as Paul takes us down this road of love being selfless, he begins by saying, love is not rude. If you were to define rude for me, what would you say rude is? Inconsiderate? Okay. Okay. Say later. Not caring about others. Disrespect. Loving oneself before others. If someone's rude to you, what do you think they're doing? Yeah, mean, kind of ugly. Not caring. What? Driving. Oh, they're driving. Yeah. Jeff Brokell, that's your son. <laughs> Disrespectful. You know, when we think of rude, we think of someone that's kind of not nice, a little mean, you know, doesn't, doesn't care about us. That, 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 and, and certainly that, that's the picture of the English term. If you have a different translation, uh, I, I'm reading out of the New King James, love does not behave rudely is the New King James version. Uh, your translation may read something not like that. It may say something like, it does not behave unbecomingly, or it does not behave unseemly. Different translations take that word, and and the reason they have different ways of saying it is because that word is bigger than just, that person's not nice to me. See, when we think of love is not rude, here's, here's what Paul is saying, love does not 
disrespect, demean, or demoralize the other. Love refuses to act in a way that demeans, disrespects, or demoralizes another. Now, there are a lot of ways that I could describe this, but let me just kind of paint one picture and ask you one question. When people hang out with you, are they built up or are they torn down? When, when people leave their time with you, are they saying, wow, that was a great time? Or are they saying, I can't wait not to go back? See, the way we love is a picture of Christ's love for that person. And if we love the way Christ loves us, then we're going to refuse to act or speak or talk to another in such a way that would demean them, that would demoralize them, or that would disrespect them. You might say, well, you know, we, we got to speak truth to people. I'm all about speaking truth to people. Can I speak some truth to you? Think about how Jesus related to people that needed truth. Let's just pick a few examples. First, let's let's look at John chapter 4, the woman at the well of Sychar. Here's a woman who needed truth. The amazing thing is that Jesus gave her truth, but he gave her truth in such a way that when she walked away from her encounter with Jesus, she wasn't demoralized. She didn't feel disrespected. She walked away and she got her neighbors and said, you need to come see this guy. You need to come meet him. He has changed my life. Jesus did not behave rudely. He spoke truth. But he did in such a way that this woman was like, wow, I need some more of that. Think of a guy named Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus' whole life was built around the premise that he was going to get more for himself, even at the expense of someone else. He cheated people on a regular basis to fill his pockets with money. He lived in a town called Jericho. This is Luke chapter 19. He lived in a town called Jericho. And when he heard that this guy named Jesus was coming through the town, he said, I've got to see this guy. He climbed up into a sycamore tree for the Lord he wanted to. And when Jesus passed by, he stopped under the tree and and he didn't say, Zacchaeus, you're a no good, no account cheat and fraud. What did he say? Come down. I want to spend the day with you. I want to hang out with you. I promise you, Jesus spoke truth to Zacchaeus in that afternoon that he spent with him. But when Zacchaeus left his encounter with Jesus, do you remember? Do you remember the change that took place? He came out of that encounter and he said, hey, If I've cheated you, I'm going to return to you what I've stolen, and I'm going to give you a bunch of interest on top of it. He wasn't demoralized or disrespected or demeaned, but rather he was built up. Now, can I ask you a question? The way you love people, the way you relate to people, are you building them up or are you tearing them down? You might say, well, that's just my manner. Stop cutting yourself such slack. It's not just your manner. 
you're rude. Stop being rude. I, I can say that because I go home to five women who tell me that all the time. Stop being a jerk. Yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. Guys, when my daughters leave my home, and they go out and they start living life, I do not want them not to want to come back home. And if I am rude, demean, demoralize, and disrespect them, they're not going to want to come back home. Look at your relationships. Your family, your work associates. Are you loving them the way Christ has loved you? Refuse to act in a way that demeans, disrespects, or demoralizes the other. That's got to begin right now, not sometime later. Love is not rude. Secondly, love doesn't seek its own. Love doesn't seek its own. Now, again, Paul is describing what love is, and he's using a negative to do it. He says, love doesn't insist on its own way, but rather it elevates the need of the other. Love doesn't seek its own means that, that I'm going to push down my desires, and I'm going to elevate the needs of those around me. Um, picture it like this at, at, at uh, the camping trip. Um, uh, Ian and I were in charge of the Oreo cookies. <laughs> Weren't we, Ian? Yeah. Uh, we were, they, they made a mistake, Scott Furlow, putting us in charge. And there was this stack of Oreo cookies in front of us. Now imagine, imagine uh, all the Oreo cookies are gone. There's one package left. And in that package, there's only one Oreo cookie. And Ian, I, Ian and I walk up to that package and that there's just one Oreo cookie left. I haven't had an Oreo cookie. And Ian's only had six. <laughs> I look at that package and I see there's only one left. And Ian and I, we're there. And I'm faced with a dilemma. Do I take the Oreo cookie for myself? Or do I let Ian have it? And the best of me, not the worst of me, the best of me says, love doesn't seek its own and gives the Oreo cookie to Ian. That's the picture we have. See, what happens to us is we start fighting and grasping and grabbing for our own. And the church at Corinth was all eat up with this disease all about themselves. And they had, even, they had even gathered in their own little groups. I'm of Paul. I'm of Apollos. I'm of Cephas. And each little group, they were fighting and grasping and clawing for their own. 
And Paul looks at them and he says, no, that's not what love does. Love doesn't seek its own. Rather, love elevates the need of the other. We're here today and we're just like any other church. We have our little I'm of Paul groups and I'm of Apollos groups and I'm of Cephas groups. And we have a tendency to fight and grab and claw so that we get ours. But that's not love. Love opens the package and gives the Oreo to the other. Here's how Paul described it in 1 Corinthians 10, verses 23 and 24. He said, everything's lawful for me, but not everything's helpful. Everything's lawful for me, but not everything will build up. And then he adds this. He says, so stop trying to get your own way. This is Thomas' translation, verse 24. Stop trying to get your own way. And look out for what the other needs. See, love elevates the need of the other. So love is not rude. Uh, It uh, refuses to act in a way that demeans, disrespects, or demoralizes the other. Love uh, doesn't seek its own. It's going to elevate the needs of others above ourselves. And by the way, isn't that what Jesus did? The cross is a picture of how we're supposed to love each other and the other. Where we're not so concerned about what we get out of it, but rather how we're blessing the other. Did a wedding yesterday, going to do another wedding on Friday and another wedding on Saturday. Three weddings in, in uh, a week's time. Wow. I love weddings for this reason. I get to share this one simple truth. That in marriage, love is not what you get, it's what you give. It's not about me getting my way, but rather it's me relinquishing my rights to what I want so that I can bless my spouse, expecting nothing in return. Love doesn't seek its own. Third, love is not provoked. You know what provoked means? Provoked means that uh, somebody comes up and kicks me in the shin. You have provoked me at that point. Uh, You have given an opportunity for anger to arise. Love is not provoked means that I will not be angry. Love is not provoked means that that, uh, love has a long fuse. It refuses to become irritable over the actions of others, even when those actions are designed to hurt me. When Edie and I got married, uh, she uh, uh, and I had different concepts of how tubes of toothpaste are supposed to be used. (laughs) Y'all know this to be true, right? And it seemed as if I was just irritated because she did not use that tube of toothpaste the way she should. You know, you have some bottom pushers, some middle pushers, and some top pushers. The only correct way is from the bottom. 
swirling it up as you go. I mean, that's, that's the only correct way, but there are some who have a differing view, including my wife. So, you know, you, you think, boy, that's, that's a source of great irritation. And, and, and certainly it was early on. I've reformed my behavior to where now she has a tube of toothpaste and I have a tube of toothpaste, right? Isn't that the best way to do it? That's beautiful. Can I just share with you one of my greatest sources of irritation, one of the things that really does provoke me? You can, you can spit in my face and I'll be okay. But please, 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 if you're putting a roll of toilet tissue do it from the top, not the bottom. Right? We need top, top, not bottom, bottom. Come on. I'm just saying. Let, I'm just keeping it real, right? Punch me in the nose. I'm okay. As long as the toilet tissue rolls from the top. <laughs> Well, those are things that can be little sticking points in our life, but, but really Paul was talking about more serious things. He was talking about people literally attacking others and doing wrong to others. Your translation says love uh, is not provoked, and, and, and that, that's certainly a picture of there's a reason for anger to be there. Someone has been unkind. Someone has been ugly, and yet I'm not going to get angry about it. I refuse to become irritable over the actions of others. And finally, love thinks no evil. Love thinks no evil. Now, uh, you might look at that and you might say, well, that's what this means is that love doesn't think bad thoughts. And, and some have taken it that way, but I just look at the Greek language and, and it, it, it says something bigger than that. The term for think there is, um, it, it's an accounting term. It means to, to create a ledger. Um, and, and evil there is uh, literally wickedness or bad stuff. Um, what Paul is saying here is that love has a short memory, refusing to keep a ledger of the wrongs done to us by another. Do you keep a ledger of the wrongs people have done to you? Do you harbor that resentment? Do you know that peace of mind and heart cannot, cannot share the same harbor as resentment? Love doesn't keep a record of the wrongs done to us. In fact, the picture of the text here is that love doesn't give it a second thought. It doesn't write it down on our ledger. Now, I've got to tell you, some of you in, in this room, and, and, and my wife and I had a conversation. She came to the 8 o'clock service, and, and we had a conversation while I was preaching, and she rebuked me a couple of times. But look, my wife can remember things that I did wrong before we got married. And she remembers them with crystal clarity. And so as a loving pastor and husband, I corrected her today. And she added it to the ledger. <laughs> I, it's hard, I know. I, 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 and, and I'm kind of joking about Edie. No, I'm not. That's true. I, I just, uh, 
look, here, here's the thing. I know it's hard to erase the wrongs done to you. I know it is. I have a hard time doing it too. But friends, that's what love does. It refuses to keep a ledger of the wrongs done against us. After all, that's how God has loved us. 2 Corinthians 5.19, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them. That term imputing is the same term for think right here. God did not put our trespasses, our wrongs, on the ledger, but rather he wiped them away, covered them in the blood of Jesus Christ. Today, our love has to look like God's love. And we need to stop keeping a record of the wrong. By the way, can I just share this with you? We keep a record of the wrong. We build this heart of bitterness and resentment. And and we think it's going to affect the person that's wronged us. Do you realize that's silly? Just because I keep a record of the wrong doesn't mean it's going to hurt them one bit. Bitterness and resentment is me drinking poison thinking it's going to kill the other guy. It just doesn't work. We need to erase the ledger. Some of us think about how people have wronged us, and that's kind of a prominent theme in our minds and in our hearts. But aren't you glad that God said, I will remember your sins no more? That's the kind of love that we're to have in our homes for our families, with our friends, in the church, and in the community. We need to love others the way Christ has loved us.